What's wrong with you? You, you dumb slut. Shut up. Don't go crazy at me just because you and your mates fucked up. You had it all on a plate, but no, you had to play silly buggers with a car. Why couldn't you just take your stuff and go? You're a loser. Don't call me that. No one ever calls me that! Hello, listening people. Heil. <laughs> wow. It demonetized within two seconds. Heil to you, Bartek. How are you going? You don't like German rhyme? <laughs> no, no. Whoa. Anyone who speaks German can't be that bad. Uh, hey, I like the grandmother in the film. <laughs> Welcome to Spit and Polish Presents Pictures Powwow. What's that in German? Go on, go. Um, Make it up. Welcome to Stolt, uh, Pictures Powwow. Uh, in include schnitzel in there somewhere. <laughs> schnitzel Wiener. <laughs> Sig schnitzel. <laughs> okay, so... I'm Ryan, that's Bartek, and yes, we are spitting Polish likingly because we are always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish. That's our background. Not German. Not No, don't confuse us. Do not confuse us, okay? We have a history with Germany. <laughs> it goes very far back. Germany's not even Slavic. No. They're Germanic, if you'll believe that. <laughs> Whoa, really? <laughs> yeah. Who else is Germanic? Uh, England. Oh, okay. uh Romania? No, not Romania. Don't, um, don't include those Romanians. Yeah, no shit. Fuck. The Romanian listeners have turned off now. Um, Sorry, Romania. Probably some other things next to Germany. Austria, maybe. Switzerland? Switzerland, maybe. Probably. I don't know. They're probably Swiss. I don't know. Because I am spit and Polish. Or they Nordic. Um, So, we are here to talk about movies uh, that have come recommended. And that is our show, Pictures Powwow. And Bartek recommended the film we'll be talking about today. The next will be me. Mm -hmm. And then the next one after that is you, the listening people. You can select a movie. Well, you can offer us up a movie and then we'll select it whenever we feel. Yeah. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think the first few things we've ever been recommended are still on the list. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Whereas the last thing we heard about it like a week before and then we did it. <laughs> We're, we've got our system and our system is called waiting for some guests to come on for the episodes they asked for, but due to the current climate, we can't. So. We, and also we're very fickle. Oh, um, yeah. Fickle rhymes with sickle. Uh, so, Bardek, you recommended a feature film, which is very unusual on this podcast. Sometimes one of us recommends <laughs> non-feature films and instead internet miniseries. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's... Which opens the way for, yeah, maybe television films in the future. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. So what did you recommend? What are we watching? What are we talking about? We're going to watch it right now after you tell us. But uh, what yes. are we doing? Um, we are watching the uh, film from Aussie, 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 Oi, Oi, Oi country uh, from the year 1992. New Zealand. Okay, interesting. New Zealand. <laughs> uh, it is called Romper Stomper. Starring? Starring Russell Crowe. Of Man of Steel fame? Of Man of Steel. Is he Is he New Zealander? No. No, okay. That's I'm Sam saying. Neill. That's Sam Neill. Or is he? I think he may be, actually, but he's secretly I think, one of us. I, I feel like that's one of those things where it's like, oh, we claim that actor. Even though like Mel Gibson? Yeah. And then we unclaim Mel very quickly, <laughs> and we're like, you can have him. I, I think he may be. I think he's rock band, that great rock band. Can I just say, before we even kick off, is the best Russell Crowe usage, like, joke thing South Park when they had him... <laughs> 
fighting around the world. <laughs> yeah, and you can't forget that because whenever you try to go to southparkstudios.com in Australia, you get, you know, the South Park Russell Crowe being like, sorry, you can't come in. He's Wellington, New Zealand, so that is the answer mm-hmm. for Russell. He's he's found cancer. I couldn't find someone with cancer. <laughs> I couldn't find cancer, so I found someone with cancer. Let's that pussy cancer. <laughs> I'm going to kick his ass and then disappears up a guy with cancer. I like the the behind-the-scenes story about why they were making fun of him in that episode. Which was? Apparently he invited them to go to, like, a party at his, like, Hollywood house or something like that, and he, for most of the party, was just showing everyone like <laughs> his songs or something that he wrote and they were like getting really annoyed by it so yeah. they decided to just make fun of him for an episode he, he, he wrote a song in reference to romper stomper in fact did mm. you did you know that it's in reference to the fact that uh is the, it the co-lead actor committed suicide yeah i, read um, that in the trivia. I think it's called davy threw himself under the train it's a very literal title mm-hmm uh, so, Romper Stomper, if people you have not seen this film before, we recommend that you do. It is a tough watch, though, if you mm. are uh, 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 prone to uh, not being a big fan of following unlikable, unsavory characters. Yeah, this you, isn't for you. If you have a history of saying, why would I want to follow someone this reprehensible, maybe mm-hmm. this film uh, would be one where you say the words that you say. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, this is a movie following a bunch of skinhead neo-Nazis and mm-hmm. their downfall. Uh, that's the film. Uh, so let's just dive straight into it. Bartek, you're the one who recommended this. You're the one who put this on the table. So I'll go with my history first. That's fine. Uh, I've seen this film once, I do believe. Uh It was on SBS, which is a uh, television station here. The Special Broadcasting Service, I think. Yes, special. And they just played it, and it was a, oh, yeah, I know this movie. It's it's one of the big Russell Crowe movies. It's the one where he plays a skinhead. I knew of the movie before having watched the movie because... In a way, it has bled into Australian culture a lot. Like, its relevance has. The the image of Russell Crowe in this movie in itself is an iconic thing for Australian media, I would say. Just his, him with the tattoos. And it is one of the first things I think of when I think of Russell Crowe. Even before having seen the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, he played a skinhead at one point. And so I watched it back in the day, and I thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was a very good movie i thought it was well made i thought it delved into a subculture and didn't glorify them but also wasn't stroking its chin going oh don't they suck it was a real fly on the wall experience of these people i thought and so yeah i've i've enjoyed it i obviously revisited it for this watched it on my own my wife rachel has watched it many times had to study it at school which i found unique and i'm like really how lucky Mm. all i had to watch was rabbit proof fence over and over and over again uh a movie i don't like very much and i have a hard time staying awake through rabbit proof fence should we do that on the pod one day maybe that's my recommendation next but so i watched it on my own it's been a little while and i really thought it was a well-constructed movie. I was really noting down the setups and payoffs in the script. And some of them, although obvious, 
didn't really draw my attention until after I finished the movie, like today when I was getting ready, I was having a shower, I was going, oh, oh, that was set up. Oh, in, and that what I'm talking about there was in reference to uh, one of the characters, spoiler alert, who gets killed in the movie, the little kid, Bubs. Mm. Uh, they had a gun that couldn't fire. That was set up earlier in the movie. And it, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. He had a gun that couldn't shoot any anything yeah yeah that, makes it even more tragic yeah when he found that gun i, I was flashing back like oh doesn't this lead to like uh mm-hmm. you know he's, he's got a weapon kind of thing and it further cements our lead female character's role in the car in his death because she calls the cops and she provides him with a gun that doesn't work, but she helps provide him with it, and that's what gets him killed, is that he has a gun. Mm. So it's even more fucked up, and I was noticing that on this rewatch. Uh, what's your relationship with this? Uh, a couple of similar elements. I also have only seen this film once. Um, it was sometime within the past eight years. I got it on DVD as a gift, and I remember when I did watch it the first time, it was, yeah, quite an impactful watch because you are following very, very reprehensible people. Um, and I was also partially aware of its reputation. Like, I didn't know too much about it, but I knew the name Romper Stomper. Yeah. I knew that this was one of the big early Russell Crowe vehicles mm. um, and that it's one of the really well-known, well, I don't know how well-known it is internationally, but well-known Australian films. It did launch his career. It did launch his career. Well, Internationally. That says it then. <laughs> you know, helped him get roles in things like LA Confidential and several other projects, which would eventually lead to Gladiator, and here we are with Russell mm. today. Yeah, I know that in really early South Park, like maybe season two or three, there was an episode set in a like children's prison where one of the... <laughs> Villainous characters was named Romper Stomper, so I guess, mm. yeah, that tells me America knew about it. This was in an era of Australian media and films where there was a few of these. Obviously, we recently did Idiot Box. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly, I think after Romper Stomper, we got uh, Chopper with Eric Banner. Mm-hmm. Similar, you know what I mean? Where it's a, we're following these kind of scummy characters who have a charisma about them, or you are just drawn into the allure of following people that you wouldn't want to in real life. There mm. was a, a couple of these. I don't know where Bad Boy Bubby was in this timeline of events, but that's also in amongst there. We have to cover Bad Boy Bubby on the pod one of these days, because every mm. time I mention it, you give me this fearful look in your eyes of, like, remembering Bad Boy Bubby. It's, it's me trying to remember little bits of it, because I remember, like, the beginning and slight bits of the middle, but not the full picture. And I remember mm. one time I said something about it, and I think we were a bit confused about, like, whether we were thinking of the same film or not. Yes, but, uh, uh, yeah, this this Rumpa Stomper came in in a period of time in Australian uh, movies, where it's slotted in just nicely, and so I think its reputation and its notoriety was uh, was kind of propelled more by the uh, cinematic landscape that it was a part of. Uh, I think well, that's what I was noticing also on this rewatch value. I was looking at movies around the time here and... Yeah, there was a few of these kind of grungy, dirty, we're following scumwad characters and maybe inadvertently or on purposely glorifying them. That's a discussion to be had, obviously, mm, because yeah. I think one of the major sticking points or discussion points is, is this glorifying them? Is this t- 
too much? Should we shine a spotlight on uh, the question of should we follow characters like this, let alone should we tell stories about characters like this? When we did Idiot Box, that was one of the central complaints that uh, other critics had, other reviewers had out there, and we kind of scoffed at it a little, like, please. This movie, there is a bigger discussion to be had in that ballpark, but... uh, yeah, I enjoyed it again. I'm a fan of these type of movies. I like, uh, this has been referenced a lot with this, but I like uh, a-, a Clockwork Orange, for instance, which has similar vibes to this in many ways. And so I am totally fine with looking at the kind of scummier side of life and just spending time with it. Uh, but uh, when revisiting it uh, for this... Russell Crowe was good. I thought he was very good. I completely forgot about the actor Russell Crowe and all the things he's done. Yeah, same. That's how transformative. I did not the see. Role. I did not think of Superman once. No, you didn't think of Jor-El. No, really. I was looking at Hando. Not uh, Doctor Jekyll from the Mummy. You didn't think about that. Well, I didn't see that movie. I just saw. But you're always thinking just, about the Mummy. I just saw that trailer. <laughs> in fact i showed it to my family on easter oh good yeah. and did it bring jesus back <laughs> he, he he joined you and had a good laugh at the mummy trailer with no sound with the improper sounds i forgot that that trailer ends like the, the last 30 seconds has like full sound editing so it's just really <laughs> jarring like oh whoa <laughs> 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 my personal favorite sound I'm sorry in if that, that clipped uh, my personal favorite sound in that uh fucked up mummy trailer is the one where he pulls the thing on her parachute and then she does this little <laughs> noise <laughs> yes. i remember saying when we first watched it i said here comes my favorite sound and, and she makes a sound just before that and you're like oh that wasn't that impressive but then that yeah. happens and you're like oh okay now like the, there's, a, there's also a part where like the <laughs> the, the the suspenseful music like rise like like something intense is about to happen but then nothing happens because the trailer wasn't finished <laughs> it's like, yeah, so good but uh yeah romper stomper one of the things i knew about it and i'm curious if you did being a, a, a born and raised is i knew this was a melbourne movie mm. this is a grungy melbourne movie because idiot box and a few others are the the sydney films Ooh, ooh, sydney films Ooh, but melbourne also has its grimy crimey center to it obviously when we grew up there was a television series big booming called underbelly Underbelly, which was notorious for covering real life crimes that were happening at the time (laughs) And Melbourne wasn't allowed to watch Underbelly because legally they couldn't because people involved could watch it and get stuff. And, and it was this whole thing. And wasn't Liam on it? A good friend uh, and uh, previous guest Liam was in an episode. I think he got killed by Vince yeah. Colosimo. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> A good friend, Sorab, who looks like Vince Colosimo. <laughs> so I always imagined Sorab <laughs> killing Liam in my brain. But uh, so, what about that for you? Did is that something that you knew about or remember at all after all these years that this is a a Melbourne movie, let alone an Australian movie? Well, one of the things I always remembered about it was that it begins at Footscray, well, quote unquote Footscray Station, because the the text says so. So whenever I whenever it's been brought up in the past, I think I've made reference like, oh yes, the film that has Footscray Station, <laughs> just a little 
me showing off like, oh yes, I'm I know Footscray Station. Even I've watched movies I, before. I passed through it once on the way somewhere. <laughs> but I've never stopped there. <laughs> I've, I've never stopped there. Because no. you shouldn't. It looked like a nice station though. In real life? Yeah, 2010's Footscray looked alright. It looked scummy to me, but that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Maybe the sun was just too bright. I don't know. Mm, you were on your way to sunshine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the suburb of sunshine. So there you go. That's yes. on the way. Yep. It's a, it was actually filmed at a Richmond station, which is a station I have been at a few times. Many like, times. And as soon as I read that trivia point, I'm like, of course that was Richmond station. It looks very similar. And Footscray <laughs> infamously doesn't have the underpass tunnel ramp area that's at the beginning of this movie. Mm-hmm. But since the story is taking place in Footscray, they had to have it at Footscray Station, but for dramatic effect, you want to have what they do have in this movie, so you you use Richmond, but in real life, Footscray doesn't have that. Dramatically, yeah. if you did it for accuracy, they would just be beating up people on a platform, just a normal flat platform, and it wouldn't yeah. be as interesting of a visual. It's, it's too visible to the public, yeah. Yeah, and it's just not as cool looking. Hmm. And and for a bit of extra context for people, uh, Footscray is in what we consider the western suburbs, which tends to be a little bit more neo-Nazi, uh, a little bit more scummy, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, west west of the central business district, and definitely at this period of time, the idea of neo-Nazis living and operating out of Footscray wasn't absurd or not at all uncommon. So. That's an element mm. to the film that adds this, even though the beginning is unrealistic, because that's not actually Footscray Station, if you know it, it has this level of authenticity in the movie when it's like, oh, it's in Footscray, and these guys live in these areas, and they wear these type of clothes, and they listen to this type of music. It is this uh, welcoming people into the world that Romper Stomper lives in, but for people who actually know that world in terms of, like, I know that suburb, I know those type of people, you nod along going, yes, they're nailing this right now. They, they're, they're getting the authenticity yeah. down. One, one thing, um, less so about, like, the general stuff, but more so about, you know, being about neo-Nazis and their scummy people is um, the, the film doesn't hold back on making them, you know, very scummy, very mean people. It, it's very... Raw and powerful. So when we when we say things like, uh, you know, this is the type of film that people who wouldn't want to follow scummy people would want mm. to avoid, it's because, yeah, they, they make them very, very unlikable. They're unflinchingly neo-Nazis. Unflinching, there is no yes. sanitizing it for a movie that actually... You could redeem them by they they have they have Nazi tattoos. They're yeah. they're dedicated, right? They're they're fully in when, it. When you get the close ups and cuts to all the like Nazi stuff in Hando's bedroom, yeah, you you really get it. It's not just oh, it, they, it's a cool look and to hate people. No, 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 they, no. There is some ideology. And there. the movie opens up as any good drama does by. Uh, doing something horrific and then looking at the audience saying, are you going to follow this now? We talked about this in the movie Tyrannosaur, where one of the opening things in Tyrannosaur is the main character killing his own dog. This movie has our main characters performing a a hate crime. Yes. And assaulting people. And then it looks at you and says, all right, you're going to follow these guys, right? Mm. It actually tricks you at first. If you aren't aware, then it cuts to... the the people who were attacked and their families reacting, and you're like, oh, maybe it's going to... No. No, no, no. We're following Russell Crowe. 
and his merry band of skinheads who are going to commit more hate crimes and be bigoted and afraid and we're going to see their downfall which is what i think elevates it to being uh, uh beyond an exploitation film or a film that is glorifying or romanticizing these people we see how pathetic they are we see how foolish they are and we see their demise and downfall and that's what makes it better obviously with any piece of media who that does this like american history x or even the wall pink floyd's the wall uh and this that features any kind of heroes in uh nazi paraphernalia real life neo-nazis will uh, completely ignore the anti like the like the message against it yeah. and we'll just gravitate towards the iconography that's just how it works doesn't mean that the film is invalid but that's just a reality of how yeah things R- go. russell crowe as hando has a very striking look about him and presence and presence so i can definitely see you know someone admiring that yeah whether the- they have you know uh evil sensibilities or not there's going to be many people who think he's the hero of the story for all the wrong reasons of course but also i'm curious from your end of it he is presented in the posters the iconography of the movie and for the first section of the movie that he is the protagonist that he's the guy that we're going to be following uh, how do you feel about that because that's not really the truth of the movie we really it's davy is second and obviously the, the the chick who are the real leaders uh, like the real heroes and protagonists of the movies but yeah for the longest time this is the russell crowe movie the movie with russell crowe and you're following russell crowe but when you actually watch romper stomper he falls to the wayside and is the antagonist yeah de- definitely to- as it goes on like davy and gabriella definitely more mm-hmm. prominent I feel like at the beginning it is a bit more balanced. Like, we do mm-hmm. get her introductory scene where we're still scoping out who this person is, who the people she associates with are. Um, when the film opens in the, with that scene, like, you know, we get the Footscray station title card. Mm-hmm. We also get title card for who Russell Crowe is playing mm-hmm. and uh, the Davy character. I forget the actor's name. Davy. Davy. <laughs> um, so it does give us this thing of like, oh, this is like a, a dual lead thing. It's these two, you know, really close friends. And in all of the scenes where they're not, you know, mm-hmm. doing any racial crimes, hate crimes rather, um, you know, it, it is a lot of them being buddies, you know, showing genuine affection for each other. He kisses him on the head at one point. Yeah, uh, but Davey as a character is always kind of in the background during all of that. He's yeah. the second, he's the shadow, he's the one who needs to be looked after by Russell Crowe. Like the scene yeah. where they've had the party and then Russell Crowe walks down the stairs and he's sleeping on the stairs and he takes yeah. him and he lays him down. Like and- I actually had a thing and I almost finished the film being kind of embarrassed where once it did start focusing on Davey more and it was more highlighting mm. his insecurities and stuff, I was actually questioning like, was this here all along? Was I just so, you know, focused on Russell Crowe that I wasn't paying attention? Mm-hmm. Is this, you know, consistent with what happened before? It Al- is. Almost feels like I should have, you know, watched it again. It is consistent. Yeah. You, you do see his conf- inner, inner turmoil, especially the most obvious moment of it being uh, when they are getting attacked in their, in their stronghold and Russell Crowe wants to stay and fight and Davey's just like, I'm not. No, we got it. You know, and it's yeah. all it's all through expression. He barely even speaks. 
And then they do leave and then he gets back the jacket and then they go and everything. But it is pretty consistent. He doesn't seem as uh, violent or headstrong as Russell Crowe. He seems a little bit more reserved. He uh, has his moments where it's like, ah, we don't have to start anything in this. But he also he does have his moments where he does all of those things as well because he is also mm. a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember being thrown off when I first watched it because I thought this was the Rus- Russell Crowe and me being me, I thought, oh, there's going to be like uh, American History X or something where we're going to follow Russell Crowe, who's this guy, and then, oh, maybe we're going to see him reform or redeem or go through an, a character arc that wasn't the one that we do go through. So I was a little bit thrown when I first saw it because... It's been hammered into me that this is the Russell Crowe film, but then it still is a Russell Crowe, but he's just the antagonist, which, hey, is that unusual for Russell to do? No. Mm. Not at all. I've seen Winter's Tale. Yes, he was... (laughs) (laughs) He was playing against type in Man of Steel. Yeah, he was actually playing against type in Man of Steel. Fatherly, I know. It's never something he's done before. Uh, But, yeah... I I was a bit thrown for a loop by that, but overall, I I got past it, and I appreciate still to this day what the film did do with that. I like a film that is capable of drawing you into a story through actually what will be the antagonist, and then Mm. flipping it around, because there is this level of investment you have in Russell Crowe in the movie, in Hando in the movie, and you have to... I mean, there's a lot of factors going into it, but there's this little head spin where you go, oh, I have to be against him now. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, when you brought up the thing where he, you know, helped Davey by getting him off the stairs, lying him down, giving him the jacket blanket thing, Mm -hmm. I do remember that was a whole thing of, like, oh, this guy is showing, you know, genuine affection. You know, this isn't a sociopath character. He actually Mm -hmm. does have things he cares about. You know, his his close friend, his whole little family of neo-Nazis. Um, and, and that was like, you know, a genuinely warm moment for someone who's done horrible things already and will do horrible things later. But then later on where things are turning against him and he's running away from all the Vietnamese and he's panicking, Mm -hmm. I definitely did have a thing like, yeah, fuck yeah, get you getting your comeuppance, mate. Mm. Even though I was thinking back in my mind, like that was a nice thing you did, but fuck you, fuck you. You're, you're in trouble now. Yeah. Yeah. The visuals of the movie do a great job as well because in that warm moment, in every moment in the movie, there is this cold exterior to it all because of this draining of the color palette and this striking uh, white balance that they have and the blue tinge to the movie. So even with moments like that, we go, that's nice. There is this alienating quality Mm. because of the visuals and it's deliberate. We actually have mentioned uh, Man of Steel. Uh, Zack Snyder is a filmmaker that does very similar things in his movies where he tinges them these ungodly browns, blues, and yellows and drains the color palette and can be very alienating. And I don't find it effective when he does it because it's Mm. also like I'm watching a Superman movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Why does does a superhero film need to look more dirty like Rumpa Stumper? And even then, I have often described on the podcast, you've heard me use this phrase so many times, I don't like movies where it looks like they've dunked the camera in a toilet bowl. Mm. (laughs) This doesn't have that. The contrast and the resolution that is here in the image is super sharp. 
but it does have that blue tinge. While with Zack's films, for instance, uh, if we're going to just point to him, his have a real kind of murky quality with the browns and yellows and blues. And I don't like that. Here, there is this blue tint to the movie, but the image that you're actually seeing is razor sharp. You can see everything. Mm. Uh, but I actually really appreciated uh, like the daytime scenes. They never looked glamorous. They never looked nice. It's just this sickness yeah. all over the screen. When when you when you get the scenes of them running away from the Vietnamese people mm. and they like running through you know muddy puddles, it's like oh yeah, that that's the film right there. They're running through you know what the rest of the film kind of looks like. You know, you got all these like dark party scenes where they're like you know just alcohol flying everywhere. Mm pissing down from a bottle into someone's <laughs> mouth and it's just like if, if you're one of those people that is like you know phobic about being dirty this film's gonna probably get to you a little bit oh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and and it contrasts really well i think with um later on in the film i think it's like the third lastish scene where they're uh breaking into gabrielle's father's house mm. how you know this is a well-off man with a really nice looking house that isn't as much, you know, dirty looking, so it really contrasts, like, the two different lifestyles. Yeah, but his is also a mess because he's in uh, renovation mode. Yeah. <laughs> so his is cluttered while theirs is vacant. Mm. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you and a discussion point to bring up is, uh, I know you have had problems with this in the past, so I was curious of if you had it here or if, not and how the film managed to succeed or fail mm -hmm. distinguishing actors and characters from one another when they have a unified look to them so everybody in this movie has a similar look they're all like the guys are all skinheads they're all skinheads skinheads picking fights every day whatever yeah, the song is <laughs> yeah yeah wearing similar outfits and i know you have had a problem in the past with having to kind of distinguish between characters with that type of thing going on mm. did that affect you at all on this watch or previous um, I think it did, but it didn't really bother me because they all, our main two characters were Davey and, and Hando. Those were the main mm -hmm. two that we focused on. And then, you know, some of the other ones that stood out, like the, what's the child's name? Bubba? Bubs? Yeah, Bubs. Bubs, like, you know, he, he had a very distinct look about him. And he's a child. Had, and he was a child, yes, that, that, that added to the distinct look. Whereas with all the other ones, like, I did catch their names here and there, but I wouldn't be able to pick them out if you asked me to. And I mm. didn't feel like that really mattered all that much because they all kind of bled together. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought they did a great job of distinguishing them by uh, a few factors. Each actor has a very unique head shape. So mm. I was like, oh, that guy, that guy, that guy. Definitely the, the Canberra boys when they came mm -hmm. in. Like, they were very distinct. Did you know who the head Canberra boy was? He looked familiar, but I don't know who he was. The Loved Ones. He was daddy in The Loved Ones. Okay. He was the father. Right. The... Yes, right, right. The, mm -hmm, the, the incestuous father. Yes. yes, okay. Yes. Interesting. I'll have to have a look at the two of them again. Yeah, <laughs> yep, same actor. Uh, and he's in a, a several films by this guy and the guy who did Bad Boy Bubby. And so he's one of those guys that I think that actor likes to be in fucked up things. Uh, but I noticed him straight away. I'm like, hey, it's that guy. 
there was another guy in there who had like some spider tattoos on his head and he kind of had like a no offense to the actor but he had like a really kind of fat head on the top where you can tell this guy in real life would have a full head of hair mm. which he does yep <laughs> he often has a full like real fluffy head of peroxide blonde hair I'm forgetting the actor's name i think it's like dan wiley he was in underbelly uh uh as well uh, he was in the underbelly squizzy show and he was in one of the other ones as well and uh he's just a character actor that's been in every australian thing you've ever seen in your life he's got these kind of really distinct kind of piercing eyes kind of a little bit buggy in a way and i recognize him like hey it's that guy i know you and yeah the kid obviously being a kid uh with the tattoo on his forehead also helped a little there was the other guy who had kind of the awkward little sideburns that just existed on the corners of his jaw that they picked up along the way yeah there was mm. they did a good job of distinguishing them and having them have their little characteristics mm. what i really liked about the women especially were a bit more distinctive because oh, they, they yes. didn't have as many you know conformed looks to them I don't think. yeah they had absurd looks and what i appreciated too in this movie is although they're a group of people and they're this uh, little army they don't all get along or like each other or they have all these differing personalities that clash so i think of the scene where uh um uh gabe uh the main female of the movie has her first seizure we see in the kitchen area after having oh, a yeah, yeah, yeah. and you have those two asshole neo-nazis like making fun and all of that and then even some of the other ones are like oh, this is a bit disgusting then you have davey react i i thought that was great because we obviously had the pressure of when are the cops going to come after them or when are the people that have they have attacked going to come after them but then you have the built-in pressure of when are they going to destroy each other and themselves because this is just a powder keg waiting to go off obviously the main conflict being the love triangle with russell crowe davy and gabe but also these other characters you just there's going to be something that happens there. And they, they did that quite a few times mm. where there were just little moments of conflict between them that could have gone sideways real quick. And he just managed to hold it together. I thought it was really well done. Um, Russell Crowe's a fucking scary guy in this movie. What was the standout scene for you of Russell in this, whether it be dramatic or him being scary or funny or what? Um, I don't know if I could pick one example, but I know that definitely one of the big things that, and this was more of a group effort thing rather than just a Russell Crowe thing, but you know, him being the leader, he obviously stands out is whenever they do approach like a Vietnamese person, like <laughs> throughout most of the film, they're basically, you know, these crazed tunes. They almost feel like, you know, mm -hmm. Mad Max Fury Road characters just there to have fun, goof around or whatever, mm -hmm. um, dangerous ways. Um, but when they approach the gooks, as they call them, uh, they're very calm. They're very calm and menacing, and there's a very calculated, you know, menace that they are targeting there, which shows like, okay, these guys—they're not just there to have fun. They have a real serious edge to them. They know how to do what they're about to do. They know the methodology, mm. and you know, when Russell Crowe does the talking for them, it's just like, oh man, this is quote unquote calm before the storm because the calm mm. is pants shitting <laughs> just like what are you doing or something like yeah, that. yeah 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 how you going how what are you going? doing and in real life with lots of uh encounter i mean i've had encounters like that where there's just this 
this intimidating presence and they do that Australian thing where they're like, how you going? And you're mm. like, this is not good. Then uh, <laughs> this is not a good thing. Uh, my personal standout scene for him was when they did take over the warehouse warehouse that they do live in for the remaining part of the remaining part of the film and the two guys that live there or work out of there or whatever and he's threatening them like he has them pushed up against the glass and he brings up the little axe the little hatchet there mm. and threatens to chop off their legs man he was excellent in that scene i thought just he's him tearing them a new one, making jokes about them being gay and threatening to cut off their legs. And he means it, you know, he's just this unstoppable force, this absolute thing that if you cross him, he will just go you. And that's obviously the threat of the movie at a certain point is she calls the cops, he knows, but then, oh, actually. And then once he gets proper confirmation, he will just kill her. That's Without a question, mm. without a question, especially since she led to the inadvertently led to the death of a child uh, that he knew and liked. He was like, "Yeah, you're done." Um, I thought the acting from pretty much everyone was spectacular. Oh yeah, yeah. There wasn't anyone who stood out as bad. They were all very good. Uh, yeah, the Canberra Boys, as you mentioned, even though they're in the movie for a brief period of time, you remember them. They just walk in and you go, oh, these guys. Mm, they're, they're trying to draw a line between, you know, the difference between the Melbourne Boys, the guys we're following, and them. Mm. And there is this kind of, like, cockiness to them, like, oh, we're from the big city or something like we're that. We're the handsome ones. We're the handsome ones, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all look the fucking same. And they've got the guy with the longest hair, like, oh, you look like a hippie but it's not that long the moral of the less the moral of this movie is join the navy because <laughs> he's the only one that doesn't get hurt in the movie and still remain gets to remain a neo-nazi mm. isn't that isn't that the moral of the lesson if you're a neo-nazi join the navy if you yes if you're a neo-nazi uh maybe look into getting into torpedo firing <laughs> this is satire of course um, we don't encourage neo-Nazis to do anything other than go away. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I had a great time. Oh, I love the soundtrack, the score of the movie. Uh, yeah, I've been waiting to bring that up. It's interesting. Um, obviously, most of the songs that we hear in the film are very skinhead focused. Mm-hmm. We can tell this because they keep repeating the word skinhead, skinhead in a lot of them. Russell Crowe has it tattooed on his neck. He has it tattooed on his head, uh, head neck. Um, no, on his head, he, on his forehead, he has damaged tattoos, <laughs> and he won an and he won an Oscar for that. <laughs> Wait, you're not meant to win an Oscar if you have damage on your forehead. What? No, if you're an actor, the makeup team <laughs> win an Oscar for oh, it. Oh, it's because he didn't method act. He didn't meth. He, he didn't send used condoms to the rest of the cast mm. and a and a mm. rat. Mm. I was about to apologize to Mr. Jared, but maybe I won't. <laughs> In fact, take that back. Unapologize to him. <laughs> he deserves it. He's a freak. You know he's got a cult. What? Yeah, Jared Leto has a cult. Yeah, like a legitimate what? cult. A cult. Yeah, he thinks of himself as like a spiritual leader for these group of freaks that hang out with him and worship him. You're looking stunned, but this is real. This is real. Jared Leto's like a freak. I did not know this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it's a sex cult, but I know it's like a weird little cult. He's a freak. Mm. Forget him. 
Oscar winning, but freak. Mm-hmm. So we we were talking about skinheads and Jared Leto. I don't know if that's connected or not. Has I, he played a skinhead? I well, I don't know. What have I seen him in? The Joker, baby. Uh, well, I haven't seen that. <laughs> you, have you seen American Psycho? Uh, he, he, no. He's the no. infamous Paul Allen who gets an axe to the face. He's awesome. Um, not in it. I was thinking of American Hustle. No, no. I'm, I don't know what you know Jared from. Uh, uh, I mean, just stories about Suicide Squad, I guess. Did you, did you watch Dallas Buyers Club? <laughs> no, but I've heard it's very good. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we were talking about the soundtrack, very skinhead focused. And mm. I guess that would be one thing that leads into you know, the whole glorification thing. Like, were these songs that were made for the movie or, or they, they already or existed? Or acquired. Or acquired. And if they were acquired, then it's like... You're giving money to, yeah, it's just this really, another weird factor to the whole idea of, like, does this glorify it and how would actual neo-Nazis react to the film? I don't know. I didn't actually get a chance to find out. I, I would just imagine that they were they were made for the movie because they're super specific. Mm. But I do know Australian punk rock or scenes and there are those type of bands who do have those type of music and... It's not great, but there are neo-Nazi mm. bands that do exist they, they, that they, do they, have songs <laughs> like this. So. There was a very familiar rhythm to a lot of those different songs. Uh, have you seen Fight Club? I have it on DVD, but I haven't well, watched it. Jared Leto's in Fight Club, and spoiler alert, he gets fucked up real good. Brad Pitt, I mean, Edward Norton beats his face. He's called Angel Face because he has an angel-like face, and then uh, he gets it beaten in real good. Mm-hmm. Well, so. no wonder he has a cult. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, because no, he's hot, apparently, to to some people, but whatever. Uh, I thought the music was awesome, not just in terms of the actual neo-Nazi song, punk songs that they have in there, but the actual score that the opening credits with that big block-like font that comes in, just smash, there it is, and you got that music that just droning, this menace. There's this certain aesthetic audio-wise and visual-wise that n- lets you know you're watching a dangerous film in a way. Mm. And that's what you get. When you when you pop on Romper Stomper, you immediately get the the atmosphere and tone from just the, 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 the credits, the font of it, and the music. Before you even get a hate crime committed, you just... You just know that you're in for not a Sunday afternoon movie with your grand mm, yeah. type film. I... I... <laughs> To to be more specific about the DVD, like the first thing I did was I went to set up, turn on the subtitles, and like mm-hmm. when it had like one of those interactive DVD menus where when you select setup, does a transition, makes a sound, and the sound was just this scream that was really oh, filtered. Really, and in the film, I think that scream is used a couple of times in Gabrielle's scenes where uh. it, it's like implying like a trauma in the past, like, mm-hmm. it's, and obviously we learn later on that she has family issues. We'll say. <laughs> Um, I don't know what it is. Can I just touch that? For, unless there's more to say about your DVD thing. Oh, no, that was just it, the, the screen. Australia? Are we okay? <laughs> you mentioned I, Bad Boy Bubby before. <laughs> I swear, like, 90% of our films about incest in some even way. Said, that's what the immediately thing I said about the loved ones. Like, oh, the incest guy. Loved ones, Bad Boy Bubby, this, a movie called Beautiful Kate with Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, I guess, I guess that's why you picked the idiot box, just to show it's we're It's a not. non-incesty one. It's like Two that. Two Hands was okay. 
I think. Was it? I'd have to rewatch. I think it was fine. Yeah. It was just a bit rapey. Yeah. Um, Fat pizza was okay. Was it? Bobo and his, a- his mama have yeah, some weird was- sexual no, tension he, he going got, on. He got a mail order bride from another country, Ryan. They're definitely not related. Okay, fine, fine. Uh, no, Australia's just obsessed with incest for some reason. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry if you've watched our movies and you see it as a recurring thing like I do a lot. I'm yeah. so sorry. And, and we should we should just be clear for everyone. We're not really talking about sibling stuff, more about parental children mm-hmm. stuff. Sometimes it's sibling stuff in these movies, but in this movie it's parental. Yes. Uh yeah. Uh, uh, that was a subplot that existed in this film that I, <laughs> I like like okay. I like how when it was brought up at like Hando and Dave, you were just like, whoa, what? Like, they weren't expecting that. Oh, I really loved when she said, he's my dad. And then they're like, really? And then it cut to that hilarious school photo of hers where she's like a little schoolgirl, but she's the actress who's a full-grown woman. But she's like, you know, she has a schoolgirl haircut because it's just pulled back and mm. she's got like a school <laughs> dress on. And her dad, who's not facing the camera, he's just like him in profile, like gawking at her being like, oh. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> For a serious movie, I don't know if that's supposed to be intentionally funny, but it made me laugh a lot. So. I, will, I will say, I did not remember that uh, twist about the film. That's if- all I remember when it came to her. <laughs> that's all I remember. Um, I forgot that possibly her mum committed suicide. Finding out the fact is implicated. It's brought yeah. up. We don't know if it's actually yeah. what happened, but I forgot about that. Yeah. I, I forgot about the, the twist. I, I had the whole thing of like, oh, so who is this guy? Is he like a like doctor and he's like mm. breaching... Uh, duty of care by you know having a relationship but no his father um and then later on when he's uh tied to the toilet and she Mm. approaches him and you get that one shot of like low angle her looking down at him with that new information in my mind i was like looking at the two of them it's like oh wow did they get like a younger actress to play her in this scene because it just highlighted the relationship more i was focusing on her look more and yeah, yeah this is really weird feeling She's excellent in Mm. this. That actress is another great Australian character actress. She's been in a ton of stuff locally and internationally. Most recently, if people are at all interested in having a fun movie watching experience, she was in uh, Malignant as the head doctor lady that is involved in that movie. So, yeah, that's kind of a cute little thing. But, uh, yeah, she's, she's awesome in this. She has a tough job ahead of her because you're in this movie and it's very guy-centric. And you meet her and you're like, oh, okay, she's going to be the girl that ruins it all. You know, you yeah. know movies. And it's not as if she doesn't serve that purpose. But it does uh, it does uh, a very... It quickly establishes her as a relatable character, a great point-of-view character, and somebody who isn't dumb... She's spacey, as they say, but she isn't a fool in the movie. There was no moments in the movie where I looked at her and said, oh, what an idiot, like I would expect with a character like this. Because more often than not, these type of characters can be foolish to me just because of the contrivances that the script will put on them to make them turn the good, the, the bad boy good. Uh, this is Greece all over again <laughs> for me. Where it's like, oh, okay, but no, she's a piece of shit too. But she's not as much of a piece of shit. They they double cr- they 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 cross her, and so she fucks them back. And I thought she was great. She does a really good job. Her performance of humanizing the character, whilst also keeping you at a distance from her, because she's not quite right. Yeah, she. 
it is very interesting. She contrasts the other women that are in the group who are obviously, you know, part of the culture. And with her, you never really get a moment of her either condoning or condemning, like, their ideology. Like, she, she's the, you know, character we're basically following when we get Hando's mm-hmm. room with all the, like, Hitler memorabilia, the... the mm-hmm. The, the banner and things like she that. She does get to join in on a hate crime, though. She does, yeah, she joins in on it, but does she... She, she, ki- she kicks them. Okay, she does kick them. That's f- Because they kicked her. And then oh, she kicks yeah. them back, but harder. Yeah, so but she does join in on it, though. She does join in on it, yes, but you, you never really get the ideological side from there. No. There is a real sense that, like, oh, yeah, as soon as things go pair up, like, she's easy to go away from this group. And mm. we even get the whole thing of, like, when the uh, other two women leave... There is, like, this idea, in, at least in my head, of, like, oh, well, they could tell on them, but they don't end they up won't. doing it because, you know, they're part of the same group, so mm. they, they wouldn't do that. There's a understanding between all these characters, even if they're currently, you know, separating, but with her, she doesn't have that, and that's why, as soon mm. as she leaves, oh, there she is calling the police, and it made sense. And it was awesome. Mm. Uh, ben Mendelsohn was originally up for this role of uh, Hando, and uh, which is funny because people name him Mendo in real life, so mm-hmm. that's funny. Uh, he was the lead guy, but apparently his head didn't look menacing enough when shaved, and Russell Crowe was really dedicated to the role. He had already shaved it. He shaved his head and was kind of harassing the director, <laughs> yeah. being like, you, you miscast, mate. It's me, Russell. I can be Australian. I can be Australian cunt. And then and I could be Australian bruv. I mean mate. <laughs> I could see I could see Ben Mendelssohn doing the role for sure, but it would be very different. Mm. I it would be very different, that's all I'll say. But hey, we got we've got plenty of good Ben Mendelssohn performances, so I'm not it's not as if I guess it is that divergence of if the movie was the same level of success, Ben Mendelssohn could have been launched into Hollywood earlier than he has been. But in the end, both Ben Mendelsohn and Russell Crowe have thriving careers inside and outside of Australia through the merits of their abilities as as actors, not just because it was a lightning in a bottle film that launched them. They've both proven themselves to be capable enough. So in the end, it's a it's a good thing. Like Ben Mendelsohn may have taken longer to skip over to the other side of the world to get his career going, but in the end he did and People like Ben Mendelsohn, no, people know about him more, so hey, that's fine. And Russell Crowe in this, I, I, I think there's an element too of if we if we can touch upon him now, because earlier we were talking about like when I watched it, the actor Russell Crowe disappeared and all these other things. But to actually do touch upon that though, there is this element here of what happened to this guy? Because Russell Crowe's done so many movies now that there's this persona of Russell Crowe, and I just don't see him making this type of movie ever again in his career. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, could you imagine Russell Crowe doing this after Gladiator? No. Yeah, I guess I see what you mean. Yeah, it's like this risk-taking Russell Crowe went away. It's it's not big Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, it's not big Hollywood. It's not. Like he's played hard men, obviously, most of his career, but there's just something about this. There's this rawness here to his performance, which I feel has drained away over time. And I still like Russell Crowe as an actor, but I was just wanting to hear from you about that because, I mean, what's your opinion of Russell Crowe as an actor or a person? And how does it relate to this? 
I mean, to, to me, he's not really someone that's been on my radar all that much. Just whenever I see something that he's in, he usually does a good job. Like, uh, what was the name of that film? He, he, he was in Beautiful Mind, yes, right? Yep, a was, Beautiful Mind. He was in that, and I remember he was good in that. Um, Winter's Tale. Winter's Tale. You know, he, that was a fun film. Find him! <laughs> <laughs> um, I think i mean i did not like man of steel but i think i remember liking like his segment at the beginning a bit more than the rest of the film so that's... my personal favorite was when he was the ghost hologram version that helping point, her yeah, <laughs> like he was like a video dirt. game <laughs> go this way now go this way <laughs> like now. he was an npc in a video game <laughs> awesome mm. awesome he was lakitu from mario oh there you go there you go <laughs> you nailed it thank you um, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, he's a great actor, I think. I think mm. Russell Crowe, especially in this part, and in, in his, uh, I, I don't know, I think something about Gladiator changed him as an actor. He still has great performances after that, but I really love him in LA Confidential, for instance. I really love him in an Australian movie before this called uh, 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 The Sum of Us uh, that has some of the... Uh, idiot idiot box actors in that movie like in the sum of us he's 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 he plays a gay man who falls in love with uh if people you tuned in for a idiot box episode you may know this but uh, in idiot box there was the uh dumb drug dealer character with the dog tattoo on his calf that ben mendelson beats the fuck up oh yeah the the subordinate to the gun Mm -hmm, selling mm -hmm, guy mm -hmm. yeah He's the love interest in for Russell Crowe in that movie, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a really and uh, the female policeman in that movie, Idiot Box, is the love interest for Russell Crowe's dad. The female policeman. Yeah, police. Shut up. <laughs> uh, you got what I meant, you fuck. I did, but I I wanted to point it out because it's funny. Well, yeah, but she's in that movie too as uh, as Russell Crowe's dad's love interest. So, but I've liked Russell Crowe. I like him here, but there is this element to me when I watch this, I just go, "What happened to this guy?" Hmm. Now we get like, "I'm Robin Hood, but it's just me, Russell Crowe, with a bow." You're like, "Okay, Russ." What else have you got? I'm Dr. Jekyll, but with glasses. It's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> it's like, okay, Russ. Like, what's going on, man? Well, wasn't he in, um, back in like 2015, 2016, he was in like a, a buddy cop film? The Nice Guys is, nice guys. is awesome. He's yeah. fucking, but he's great because he's Russell Crowing it. <laughs> he's hilarious in that movie. Have you seen it? Yes, I, I remember. Mm. The, the reason I remembered it was because uh, I went to see it with a group of friends, including Oliver, and I was telling them, like, oh, yeah, Oliver's going to be on the podcast soon. We're going to do a film called Baby's Day Out. <laughs> that was on the way to see that film. There you go. Anything else you want to say about Romper Stomper? Romper Stomper. I, I guess since you're more familiar with this than I am, what is the deal with that whole reviewer guy? Okay. David Stratton, was it? So, in Australia, for those non-local, we have our big film critics. You guys have Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. We have Margaret and David. Mm. David Stratton, who's actually British, but he's lived here for Mm. so long that he's Australian. Uh, They did their show when it used to be on SBS. It eventually moved to ABC, which is another station oh yeah we, we saw them in um, miles barlow right yes yeah. a show that we've talked about in this podcast uh they had their show and they both loved the movie they both thought it was excellent oh i didn't know that part margaret it. rated it four and a half but david refused to give a rating he on principle refused to give a rating 
because he didn't want to condone the film. He liked it. He thought it was well-constructed. He had his criticisms. I think he said it was a clockwork orange, but without intellect. He thought it was well-made. The Some of the best performances of the year. But he con- he couldn't condone... Like, he just could not give it a rating because he thought that that would, con- like, uh, say, the movie's good, you should check it out, which he also was like, you should watch it. But no, because he personally was worried about the ramifications this movie would bring because of the racial violence in the movie. And there was already real-life racial violence like that happening in the real world. And that brought about a whole conflict because it's like you're the top reviewer in Australia and this is like uh, an early time filmmaker I think this is like his second or third movie and you're making this movie that's like doing the rounds everybody's enjoying it and then you have like the top film critics saying I'm not going to rate it and so that would piss you off that would upset you so at mm. some point the uh, the director had a happenstance meeting with David Stratton and poured wine on his head <laughs> and he's like, don't ever review any of my movies. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't want you to touch any of them in the future. I did not know the part about him liking the film. Mm-hmm. That's so mm-hmm. weird. And yeah, David Stratton uh, uh, has gone on the record still kind of standing by what he did, but obviously acknowledging that it wasn't a, a kind of a dick move on his part, but that's what his move was in the end. So that was a bit of a thing that I think about with Rumpa Stump. I'm like, oh, David Stratton, he couldn't do it. But David Stratton is just such an interesting figure if you know Australian film criticism. Because uh, Margaret and David are just some... They're fun. They were fun. Uh, they always kind of differed on things, but in only ever so slight of ways. Like, my favorite catchphrase of theirs is uh, Margaret, whenever David would criticize something she liked, she'd just go, oh, David. And uh, you're like, yeah, David, what the fuck, man? That's a good movie. And then Margaret would have some take on some bullshit, and then he would just chuckle and be like, oh, Margaret. I think infamously they don't like each other in real life all that much, but they get along well enough to work together. But they just are very different people. But that's enough. So they're like us. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you. Uh, Anything else? Because I think I'm pretty good. I I think think I've got my one last statement, which is the ending's great. Uh, awesome Uh, I love the credits and how the colour fades like you're seeing the dying vision of Russell Crowe and then it's black and it's just amazing A great all it was missing was you know because it's a first person view of him Mm. dying it's just Hitler walking up to him holding out his arm being like come with me my son my son and instead you know the Nazi salute it's going to be like an upside down version of that so it's not going to be like you know curved or anything it's gonna be very straight and upside down like playing a game of lawn bowls yeah yeah uh it's it's a prequel to from cracker jack uh, <laughs> starring mick malloy not related to a, your friend nathan malloy because they spell the name different but according to malloy your friend they don't <laughs> uh, uh that was fun uh that's all i've got for you i've got actually a recommendation for a movie next episode if you're you willing actually to- do I actually do. You didn't forget this time. I didn't forget. I'm, I've got a catalogue of movies on my watch list that I haven't seen, so I'm going to pick from there. So I have no understanding of the quality of the movie. It's just been on my watch list. It's a semi-mystery box. For us, it's on Netflix. Oh, uh, So that's good. It's a South Korean science fiction movie called Space Sweepers. 
So we're going to check that out. It's relatively new. I think it came out last two years. Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to watch some more sci-fi new movies and foreign sci-fi movies. As you know, I like to experiment with foreign films of certain types of genres. So yep. this is on the list. I do believe our good friend Sam Noonan, a previous guest, recommended this to me ages back he just said hey this might be a movie you might enjoy and i kind of gave it a skim went oh that looks interesting and i put it on my watch list and never have watched it so i thought let's do it on the pod Mm -hmm. it will be there for us to watch to engage with it'll be my third south korean film uh subtitles of course Mm -hmm. if it offers that i get i don't know uh anything so i'm gonna assume subs are the main option (laughs) you you know you know what's a really fun fact like i i Look this up just out of curiosity, but I didn't have any way of naturally mentioning it in the episode. This, literally a hundred episodes before this very episode, was The Handmaiden. There you go. There you go. I can't believe I got to fit that in somewhere. To wrap up, Bartek, I've got a question for you now. Yes? Did you do your homework? I I was hoping you'd forget because then I would answer it without transitioning into it and then you'd be like, oh, he remembered. Did you do your homework, buddy? Do you want to explain the homework? So, listen, Ryan, could you just go away for a second because I need to have a talk with Ryan from the past. Okay. Okay. Hello, Bartek. It's me, Ryan from the past. Hello, Hello, little boy. Have you heard about the Second World War that's breaking out? (laughs) I have. You're a very smart boy to know about it. I can't wait for you to see the ending. Trust me, many decades after it ends, people are still going to like that Hitler guy. These damn Hun are running everywhere, I tell you. Everywhere. (laughs) What was that fourth word you said? I couldn't understand you. Hun. Hun? Yeah. Germans, they were the Huns. Oh, the Hun. Right, yes. I'm using out-of-date terms because that's what they were in World War One. <laughs> we haven't come up with a name of these Germans yet. I hear they're banding around this term called Nazi. I don't know what that even means, but they're these damn Huns, I tell you, running around with these pointy helmets. Yes, a chill of a Hun, of course. Um, so the home- <laughs> Go on. Well... That was interesting. I'm going to talk to Ryan from the more recent past now. Past Ryan. Bartek, I can't believe this, but apparently Trump's going to win the election. What the fuck? Oh, no, that's Ryan from 2023. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Okay, okay. Late 2024. Speak to recent past Ryan. Okay, Bartek, we're going to start the movie in three, two, one, play. Okay, we're playing the movie now. Whoa, Paul Giamatti is Miss <laughs> Blue. I was just like, oh, wait, no, that's unappreciated masterpieces, right? <laughs> so go on. Um, so a film that I have watched where uh, I the thing that I enjoyed wasn't the main point of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was what I had to say last week, but I couldn't think of something. So I made the promise, promise. Of, of mentioning it this week. Um. And, you know, I, I I was thinking about it throughout the week, uh, and a lot of the, you know, easy answers were like, oh, well, the So Bad It's Good films, because, you know, they they all have their point, but then the mm-hmm. comedy ends up being it. But um, one that I did think of uh, that I watched last year was, um, it's, I can't remember the full title, it's a Japanese film, it's the very first, it's actually the very first video game movie ever made, it was the... <gasps> Like, 1986 Super Mario Brothers, like, animated film mm-hmm. called, like, The Great 
mission to rescue Princess Peach or something like that. And you like it outside of it being a Mario movie? Well, I mean, in the context of when it was made, obviously, you know, this is an adaptation of that hit game, Super Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. which, like, that's all the franchise was. And it was such a game a- deep with lore and story. Yes. And, well, certainly at that point when there was just, you know, oh, get to world 8-4 and beat Bowser at the end. Yeah, run run right and go. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's make a movie out of that, a 60-minute movie. Um, so obviously the appeal there was, uh, you know, trying to make a story out of that. And uh, it was one of those films where when it was ended, I was like, huh, well, I'm never going to recommend this on the show because there's nothing to talk about. But I've since gone back and thought like, oh, we should get like them fancy dinosaurs to do it because mm. we're going to do Mario with them. Um, but one really interesting thing about it that I keep, you know, thinking about is this is a film that has kind of been disowned by mm-hmm. Nintendo in a way. Like Miyamoto, the guy that made Mario, is like, oh no, that thing was ridiculous. I have, I have no love for that. I wish Chris Pratt did the voice. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly a hundred percent. And what he Charlie said. Day as Luigi. Yeah, you are quoting him from nineteen eighty nine right now. Seth Rogen, I hear, has a <laughs> magnificent voice. It's what I've envisioned Donkey Kong to sound like. But the the really bizarre thing that I uh, that I keep thinking about is that so many little elements from this film has been present in modern day Mario that it almost feels like he's taking from this thing that he's disowned and I, I kind of want to re-watch it again just to like point out all the little things and also all the things that are kind of ironic like oh the the personality of Luigi in this thing mm-hmm. you know later became basically Wario's personality I have one as well I did my homework too because I was. You thinking, did my homework. I did and because I gave an answer, but I was like, oh, I feel like I have another one, and it was so obvious to me. I was like, "Fuck! I, this is what I always go to when I do this." There was a television series that I feel like I've only seen, but it does exist. It was two series long. It was British BBC, I think, or at least ITV. Nick Frost was the lead in it, mm-hmm. called Hyperspace. No, Hyperdrive. 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 Uh, because that's how they travel. And it had all these comedy people in it. Miranda Hart. It had uh, one of the guys from Black Books. It had like a load of people in it. And uh, it was a British sci-fi comedy show in which I liked it, even though the comedy is fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. It is awful. It's not clever. It's lowest common denominator. It's absolutely bad. But I liked it in spite of that because there was this like, really fun sci-fi world and a neat commentary and uh, uh, satirization of Star Trek in there, where the pitch of it is they're a part of the UK in space and they're colonizing in space and there's other countries. So there's no alien. There are some aliens and stuff, but it's more like there's the America spaceships. And it was basically if the British imperialism was accelerated and expanded out into the galactic scale. And that was like the underlying thing underneath it all. And you have our schlubby heroes who are part of this corrupt system of, of, of imperialism and colonization. And, it was a really clever sci-fi show. They had these really cool ideas, like the engine worked by having like a person sign up to augment themselves, and and it was really clever stuff. But the comedy, like this, is sitcom first, sci-fi second, and this sitcom stuff was 
bad. I was going to say, if Ryan, very bad. If Ryan's going to have any sort of answer to this, it's going to be something that's sci-fi secondary, but the sci-fi is really interesting. Like, oh, this is actually a really good sci-fi idea. Yeah. But the thing you're mainly focusing on sucks. Yeah. That's that's my answer. That's the that's the ultimate Ryan answer. That's my old and it I, and yours is a video game answer. So fair enough. Video game uh, anime answer, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> video game anime thing. Uh, that's it, uh, people. You can find the us. The music in that was very good, though. Oh yeah, I bet it, it had was. songs for some reason. <laughs> was it a musical? Very like romanticy songs. I don't. Well, it is know. Mario. It's a yes. love story. Well, we'll we'll find you'll find out when we do it on the podcast. It's about family, and that's what makes it so. Well, important. I mean, we'll, you'll you'll see. I'll see one day. Uh, that's How it, people. You can uh, find us on the social medias of your choice: Facebook and Twitter under Spit and Polish Presents. You can email us at spitandpolished at gmail dot com. Recommend us movies, things that we should check out. Give us feedback, questions, queries, concerns. You can hit us up on all of those things. It is in the description of the episode in case you need to double check it. Rate and or review us on whatever podcast hosting site allows you to do so. It would be awesome. It would be appreciated very much so. Bartek, it was a pleasure talking to you it was great to be here to look at a, a piece of film history of Australia, of Russell Crowe. Uh, I looked up the director of this movie. I was curious of what they did after this. They've done a few things. Nothing too noteworthy, they unfortunately. poured wine on David's head, you said. Yeah, David Stratton's head. And uh, one of the films they did was a Macbeth adaptation. Mm-hmm. That's like 4.4 IMDb, so take that. with, a, <laughs> And it's like less than two hours. And it's got all these weirdo Australian actors. I'll give you one guess. Now, remember, this is early to the mid-2000s. It came out. One guess of who they got to be Macbeth. Think young, upcoming Australian actor of Uh, that time period. Who would go on to be in one of the biggest films ever. He was Heath Ledger already come at this point. <laughs> Could you say that again? <laughs> was he was Heath Ledger already come at this point? <laughs> was already come at this well, point. Because it happened coming, so he's already come. <laughs> I'm sure grammatically that worked. Come on. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> this one uh, Heath Ledger I think has already existed at this point yes. okay he'd already come <laughs> one more guess oh shit uh, young who- up and coming Australian actor who would go on to be in one of the biggest films of all time um biggest films of all time what, was it that guy that was in Avatar no no he wasn't that young was he it was Sam Worthington baby oh I was right Macbeth. Macbeth. Sam, can you imagine Sam Worthington doing Shakespeare? With that caliber of acting that he's displayed? Man, we thought Avatar was the big thing, but he'd already come. What's so funny, Ryan? You don't like English? You fucking, you're a fucking gook or something? Please. <laughs> Please like English. 